Bibles, please, to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. We, uh, we've been studying the book of Hebrews. Hebrews' author, we don't know uh, who wrote it. We don't know exactly who it was written to. But we try to pick up on a few things uh, with a certain situation. And over and over again, it seems like this book is about encouragement about not giving up, about holding on, not giving up on Jesus, not giving up on fellowship, not giving up on our faith. And chapter 11 is perhaps the most famous part of the book of Hebrews. It is the Faithful Hall of Fame, and we're going to take a look at a couple of them this morning. Would you begin with me with a simple word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the faithful heroes who have gone before us, heroes of the Old Testament, Heroes who trusted in you, walked with you. And Lord, I ask now that you would open our hearts to you, that you would find us faithful. Lord, we rest on the faithfulness of Jesus. Any righteousness that we have is through him. Anything good that we have is through him. And so we open our hearts and our minds to you this morning. We ask God that you would stir in our minds a conviction conviction to fix our thoughts on you, to fix our minds on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. We love you and we praise you, God, and thank you for this day. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever found yourself saying the phrase, uh, I look forward to the day when, when something is better, when something gets better? Uh, my grandfather told the story, and I've done a little research, and I'm pretty confident it's an ab absolute lie, but... Uh, my grandpa said it, and it was before Google to prove him otherwise, but he always told the story of uh, he was working in the fields, and he was doing all of the weeding, and he had another guy with him, and he said, the guy next to him said, there's got to be something better to do than this, and he went on to create one of the first herbicides. Now, that's what my grandfather claimed, um, but that's probably not true at all, um, but, you know, if grandpa tells you, then it's got to be true. So I've lived thinking that my grandpa was one guy removed from the guy that created, like, Roundup or something. I don't know. Uh, but that's, that's, not, uh, that's not true. But we all have uh, reached points where we just sort of quit, right? There's a, there's a couple of board games that I don't know if you actually finish them. Uh, who's ever completed the game of Risk? I mean, beginning to end. Dan and Ray, okay, and Lori, all right, okay, and Jason. Uh, there's a game called Dungeons and Dragons. I heard that that game doesn't have an end. Like, just, just shoot me. Don't ask me to play that. Like, I, I need there to be an end, I, and it has to be an end in sight, right? Uh, but there are, there are things that we quit in life when it's just kind of like it reaches a point where it's like, okay, will this ever be over? And you just can't quite get through it, and you, and you stop. I remember quitting football, eighth grade year. I didn't like the coach, and I was having a terrible time with it. I was sore in places I didn't know I had. It was just like, this is excruciating, and I, and I quit. It wasn't worth it. We all reach these certain points in our life where it's like, I don't know that it's ever going to get better. So I feel like quitting. And we can take it on the surface level of trivial things like uh, trivial pursuit and risk and all of those things. Or you can take it to the most important aspects of your life. 
that when things don't feel like they will ever get better, they feel like the only option you have is to quit. We quit our work, we can quit our marriages, we can quit our commitment to Christ, we can quit the most intrinsic things of our identity and what make us up, and we can feel so broken and so hurt and filled with so much despair that it feels like it will never get better. It will never get better, and how do I get through it? And this morning, I want to encourage you that in the midst of this, there is something better. There is someone who is better. The whole sermon series has been looking at all of the different instances in which the Hebrews preacher starts using the word better. Like Jesus is, uh, it's sort of the same word used as Jesus is greater than the angels, superior to the angels. That Jesus is better, the better sacrifice, that Jesus uh, is the better offering, that Jesus is the better resurrection, a better country, better hope today, we're going to take a look at. That Jesus is the better sort of hope for all of us. And I want to point out to you what's going on in the book of Hebrews and in, X, or in uh, Hebrews 11 and the story. Uh, well, there's a couple of faithful heroes. It starts out great, a familiar uh, scripture on faith. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We tend to focus on the faith and the hope piece, but I want to focus in on what, the part about what we do not see, what we do not see. And he starts right out talking about God and creation, that God creates something out of nothing, that, uh, something that is visible out of what is not seen. And if we think about the Christian faith in this way, I think it will help us along. That God is doing something with the unseen to change your life for eternity. We fix our thoughts and our hopes on something we do not see. And that's incredibly difficult for us. Uh, if you're like me, you like to be a visual learner. Sometimes I get to sub uh, in PE. And PE is a great job. I mean, it's, it's really, it's my life's calling to be an elementary t uh, PE teacher. Gym shorts and games. I mean, that's the good stuff. Uh, but uh, they will give you instructions. Do this, X, Y, and Z. You have five players on each side, and they, they step through a hoop, and they, you know, skirt around, and they do such and such. Like, I could read that all my, like, for five minutes, and then I go to YouTube, and I type in the name of the game. I see how it's played, and it's like, oh, I get it. I like to learn by seeing. You guys are with me on that? Uh, and so seeing is so incredibly important for us to understand. And I think that there is that aspect in our life. One of the things I do in marriage counseling is sometimes I like to say, can you tell me three examples of a healthy marriage in your life? Because it's easier to talk about what is good when we have something to see, when we understand what's going on in their relationships. We want to see something tangible and hold on to it. Well, the stories of faith that get drawn out in this in Hebrews 11 are instances in which people had to trust in something that they couldn't see. They had to walk and trust with God. And so it says of Abraham, if we kind of jump through, uh, it says, by, or, well, let's go with Noah first. In verse 7, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, 
In holy fear, he built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Noah didn't know what was coming. He didn't see it. It wasn't yet seen, but he believed and he had faith and he built the ark. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. Wendy's gotten in the car lots of times with me, and we're just, you know, we're just going for a good time. It's like, I don't know where we're going, right? For you control freaks out there, this is a troubling passage. Because he starts talking about faith being something that you start trusting and not seeing and not knowing and not knowing where we're going. And I think we sometimes want to interject with Jesus and say, well, hold on. Show me. Point me in the direction. Tell me where I'm going. Why am I going through this? Things not yet seen, and we're supposed to trust and, you know, let Jesus take the wheel and drive it. It's hard. There's a, there's a life uh, that is brought up in our text. It's the person of Joseph. You know, and, it, and the preacher's hitting all the hitting all the highlights of these people, of these faithful heroes. The story of Joseph is, is one of the most compelling of stories in all the Bible. It's really one of the greatest stories of all time told with flannel graph. I mean, flannel graph really brings it alive, right? You, do you all remember, remember your flannel graph lesson of Joseph? This is for the old, old faithful people, you know? such as myself, going to Sunday school every week growing up in childhood. And the flannel graph story of Joseph, you know, they always glossed over the Potiphar part, but, you know, they really, really made it come alive. But the story of Joseph began with a dream. And the dream was that his siblings and even his own father would bow down to him. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And they already didn't like him because of the coat, you know, and the flashy colors. That really comes alive on the flannel graph. And Joseph has uh, angered his brothers, and they have thrown him into a pit, and it's a pit of absolute despair. And they're ready to kill him, and his oldest brother rescues him, and they ship him off into a caravan into Egypt. And Egypt, Joseph, uh, you know, seemingly his life is over, but he enters into Potiphar's house, and in Potiphar's house, God blesses all that he does. It says there in the text that Joseph is strong and handsome. And ladies, if you look around at the guys today, that's what Joseph looked like, strong and handsome. We bear that burden every day, I, I know. Uh, but uh, So he rose in power and stature, and Potiphar gave him uh, all of his household to take care of. And then we know, we know that Potiphar's wife causes a problem, and then Potiphar, uh, Potiphar's wife makes a lie about Joseph, and Joseph kept his integrity, but the lie held, tr- uh, held up and... He was thrown into prison. There's another pit of despair in Joseph's life, another moment in which he thinks, what is next? God, what are you doing? Why am I going through this? And then Joseph is restored out of of prison after he talks to the cupbearer and the baker. The cupbearer, that's hard to say, cupbearer, he, uh, he gets a good, favorable dream uh, interpretation. The baker, he gets the bad one. 
and the baker, he doesn't rise, and the cupbearer goes up. That's how I remember that, because I can never remember. The baker doesn't rise, the cup goes up, whatever. Anyways, but, he, but Joseph was forgotten for two years, and Pharaoh has a crazy dream, and the crazy dream, uh, you know, it gets really exciting. The flannel graph and the cows can really just get exciting, and you have the dilapidated cows and the healthy ones, and uh, I don't know if that's accurate. I don't remember the, the cows and the flannel grass. But anyways, uh, and so God restores Joseph from prison, and he lifts Joseph up. And then he not only becomes like, uh, he just becomes the most incredible person in all of Egypt. Like he's not just lifted out of prison. He has taken on the place of the highest stature, the right-hand man, the, the sort of um, keeper of all the food for all of Egypt. And then there's the crazy rest of the story is a lot of back and forth from the, uh, from the land of Canaan and with his brothers and siblings and bringing his dad back, and they all end up in Egypt. And the very end of the story is, is, that, uh, is that God was using all of this to accomplish his purposes. And so of all the flannel graph stories, of everything going on in Joseph's story, what does the Hebrews preacher choose as his illustration for Joseph's life? Of all of the pits and moments of despair, this is what we get for Joseph. It's 11.22. By faith, Joseph, when his end is near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. I've been a preacher for 14 years. This isn't the story I would go with. Yeah, let me tell you about my funeral plans. Really? There's a reason. Because this preacher is a hundred times better than all, a thousand, whatever. The preacher is amazing and he knows what he's doing. He's inspired by God. He is telling a story about a moment that's not yet a reality. You see, Joseph's life was filled with pits of despair and moments of doubt. And here he is at the end of his life and he's facing one more pit. One more moment of despair. His family is all in Egypt. And there is a story being told about their life and what their purpose is and what their nation is about. The nation of Israel wasn't going to stay in Egypt. That wasn't their plan, that wasn't their calling, that wasn't their purpose. Their purpose was to glorify God and to go to the promised land. And so when Joseph is in his tomb, or ready to die, when Joseph is going towards his death, he tells his children, one day, you'll go to the promised land. One day you will go and God will prove faithful. One day you will leave from here and I want you to take my bones with you. I know that there will be an exodus. I know that God will be faithful. I know God will deliver me once again from the pit of despair, from the pit uh, way back in the well, from the pit of prison, and now in the pit of death. I can tell you that God will be faithful. And so take my bones with you when you go into the promised land. And it wouldn't be next week, it wouldn't be next year, it would be 300 years later that God makes good on the promise and a a man named Moses would come into Egypt. 
And Moses would preach of God and his faithfulness and he would declare that God is delivering the Israelites and he would take them and they would take Joseph's bones and they would bury, them, bury him, Joshua would, in the promised land. The Hebrews preacher says, you know, faith is about this thing that we don't see but we have to believe in. That we put our hope in. We don't see it, but we know that there is something there and there is something better. And we always need to hold out hope that there is something better. And there are moments in our life where it feels like there isn't that option. But as Christians... As believers in Jesus Christ, we hold out firmly that there is always something better. I had a conversation with a bunch of minister friends, and one of them shared this phrase that just hit all of us in our hearts. Because we felt it. We felt it ourselves, and we felt it in our congregation. And he said, you know, over the last year, I would have thought that the resurrection would have meant more to us. That the resurrection would have meant more to us. And we're like, whoa, Steve, hold on, man. Don't be throwing so many haymakers. Because it was true. It was true. Christians, the resurrection happened. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the victory over death, happened. He ascended to the right hand of God. And that impacts how we view the world. It impacts how we function. And what the Hebrews preacher teaches us is that Jesus is this better resurrection. If you flip over to 1135, we'll start in, uh, we'll start in 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword whose weaknesses was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies verse 35 women received back their dead raised to life again there were others who were tortured refused refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put in, to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. They were all fixated on something better. For some of them it was a better, erection, a better resurrection, a better life, a better hope, something that they were looking forward to. They didn't see it, they didn't get to experience it, but just like Joseph in Egypt, he knew a better day was coming, a better day for his people, that God would be faithful to his promises. 
They held out hope for a better resurrection. As we look at the text and all that the preacher is doing, I just want to draw out, draw out this one really incredible thing. It's in verse 40. Since God had planned something better for us, God's planning something better. There is something better for the world. So that only together with us, with us, would that be made perfect? Would that be made complete? In one brilliant move, the preacher tells you that this is about you. This is about us. This is about us being connected to Adam, connected to Moses, connected to Abraham, connected to Enoch, connected to Joseph, and on down the line. That these people who believed in something, who believed in something better, fixed their hope on God that he was faithful to his promises, that he was going to do something in, this very, uh, in their life one day. And they didn't receive what was promised, but you have, together with us, we inherit the promise. We have the better hope. Because we stand on the promise of God that he goes with us and we are with them. That you are a part of their story. And so as I think about this text, I think about our life together as a church I just want to ask you something. Do you believe that there is something better? Do you believe that there is one who is faithful and has died and rescued you? <laughs> yeah, exactly, Dick. Do you believe this to be true in your heart and to know? Because without this hope, I'm afraid that we will give up. That we will that we'll just stop. And we'll fold. And we'll say, you know, there isn't something better. And we wash our hands of it. But this text stands in the, in the heart of a message that says, you may not see it yet, but God is faithful. You may not know what he's doing in the pit of the despair that you are in now, but God is faithful and God loves you. And God is restoring you. God is restoring your relationships. God is restoring your trust in him. God will show you that he is faithful and good, that he loves you and he's working in your life. If you are like me, you've quit things and you've later regretted it. And you've thought in your life you didn't know how to go one step further whether it was in your marriage, whether if it was in your work, whether it was in any relationship in your life, these things that really deeply affect us. You know that wonderful list of people? Can you tell me uh, any of them that were perfect? Any of them that had it all together? When I look through the list, I see a group of people that didn't live a perfect life. They lived a life of this unwavering hope. You know, the enemy of hope is fear. 
The enemy of hope is fear. When you, when you think about all of the things going on and all of the fear-mongering that happens and all of the worry and all of the anxiety and all of this stuff, real technical term there, I know. It's this insurmountable fear that would just sort of weigh heavy on us, but it's faith and it's hope that needs to rise. And when we have faith, we have hope. When we have faith, we know that whatever we're going through, there is this better hope in Christ. And so I think about Romans 8. Romans 8 is about creation and people crying out to God. It's like, we've had enough. Will you please help us? And all of creation is crying out to God. And we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. And it's just like, we run out of words to say, and it says that we just start these wordless groans to God. Have you ever expressed a wordless groan to God? You don't know what to say, you're just kind of like, ugh. God, I don't know what to do about my kid. I don't know what to do about my marriage. I don't know what to do about work. I don't know what to do about this jerk boss. I don't know if I have enough money to get through this week. I don't know if I have enough. I don't know if I'm enough. And we get to our absolute end and we are in absolute despair and we are completely broken. And we don't know what to say to God. And the Spirit's there to speak for us. And the Spirit is there to give us this groan of agony. And the Spirit interprets that and knows our hearts. And it's the promise of Romans 8 that is the promise of Hebrews 11 and it's the promise of Scripture. That if you are in Christ, you are not separated from Christ. That if you are in Christ through his love, there is nothing in this world, there is no power or principality, there is no evil so great that will separate you from the love of God. It is the promise of Scripture that Jesus is the better hope. In fact, he is the very best hope this world has. And so no matter what pit of despair, we can look at the life of Joseph and we can still look onward and heavenward because it's a story of a better country. It's the story of heaven. It's the story of a better resurrection. It's the story of a better hope. That's the story of Scripture, of people not seeing what they're hoping, not seeing it, but hoping in it to be true, the hope of heaven, and a life with God. And so I ask you today to look again at verse 40. And I want you to simply write your name. Don't do it for real. I mean, that might be a little too much. But since God had planned something better for you, to, so that to, only together with you, with all of us, would it be brought to completion? Their story didn't finish. They were looking at you. And maybe they didn't know about Virginia Heights. Maybe they didn't know about Barry Baker. Maybe they didn't know about Lisa Zemp. Maybe they knew about Jason Hefner. I don't know. Who knows? But they knew that God was faithful. And they didn't quite have it all together that God would do something so drastic and so amazing as sending his son 
But that's what this story is about. It's a story of Jesus rescuing and saving. It's the story of Jesus making a family. It's the story of Jesus bringing new creation and forgiveness and life. It's our story. And so we keep pressing on. Because God is going to make good on his promise. And heaven will come and the earth will be made new. And sin and death will be no more. And his home will be here with us. God will make all things new. And God is going to do it with you. So I invite you to be one of the storied faithful people. I invite you to think about your work life as a way to work for the Lord. I invite you to think about your marriage as one that you can shine a light in Jesus and how you love your spouse. In your uh, retired years, in your glowing years, your wonderful years, shining a light of generosity and kindness and love and care and service, thank you. In your life as a Christian walking with God, I invite you to have a faith like those of the past who may not have all of the answers. Abraham and Sarah hopped in the car and they didn't know where they were going. But they knew that the one who was taking them there was faithful. And Abraham, Abraham, he had his ups and downs. He messed it up a lot. But despite his brokenness, God still was faithful. And despite our brokenness, despite our mishaps and our misguided, misguided steps along the way, there is grace and there is hope and you are a part of this story. So I invite you. I invite you to be made complete with story of the faithful who trusted in something better. Tell your story Tell it of God's wonderful grace for you and walk with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your faithfulness to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And today, Lord, we praise you that there is forgiveness, there is grace, and there is love and mercy for us today because of Jesus. Lord, you invite us to be a part of this story. And we feel at times unworthy. We feel at times directionless. We feel at times despair and frustration. God, we feel lonely. We feel anxiety. We feel worry. Lord, we feel like we don't have a place in this grand story of yours. And so, Lord, when we pick up Hebrews 11, there's a lot we don't see. There's a lot we don't see in our life. We don't see how you're going to get us out of the mess that we might find ourselves in today. We don't see how we're going to get through... One more day. 
Lord, we don't know how to navigate all of our life and the things that are within it, the hurts and despair and frustration. But you are with us. We're with the faithful heroes. And Lord, we have no doubt that they aren't cheering us on, cheering on the church in that Green, cheering on the churches around the world to be faithful and to trust in you. So we pray for a faith like Joseph, who in his final steps knew that the end of the story wasn't in Egypt. Lord, may we know that the end of our story is not Egypt, it's not slavery to sin, it's not slavery to death. Lord, let us know that the resurrection means something. It means something to us today, Lord. And the fear and the brokenness and the despair, it's all washed away in the incredible story of Jesus Christ. Lord, preach that message to our hearts and our minds. Impress it on our wills and our souls. Lord, that we would have strength and courage and faith to not give up. Because we know something is coming that will be so much better. That you will shout enough, enough sickness, enough death, enough tears, enough brokenness, Lord, and you would heal your creation. You would heal every last one of us. You would heal our sick children. You would heal our lost loved ones. That you would restore your creation. Lord, so we wait for you. We wait for your direction and your guidance. We wait for you to pick us up. And when you pick us up, God, Help us not to forget you and what you've done. Be faithful. Trust in you and walk with you. Guide your church today, Lord. We trust you. We give our life to you. We confess Jesus as Lord and King. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Will you stand and